With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. December the 18th, yes. All the Star Wars dorks are like, yeah! Everybody else is like, you guys are the biggest losers ever. December the 18th. <laughs> Everything will be brought in full circle. So after waiting in anticipation, after living through the years of George Lucas having a midlife crisis and ruining Star Wars, we have Star Wars The Force Awakens. They've already committed to doing two more movies and several different spinoff movies. Yes, thank you, Lord. So in 1977, audiences were introduced to a galaxy far, far away. But in, in being introduced to this, we were introduced into a new way of looking at good and evil. It's this idea of the force. The force is this metaphysical, spiritual, binding, omnipotent, ubiquitous power at work within the galaxy. There is both a good and a dark side of the force. The light side of the force is the facet that's aligned with compassion, selflessness, self-knowledge, enlightenment, healing, mercy, and benevolence, while the dark side of the force is this side of hatred, of fear, of anger, of aggression, of jealousy. So think Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader. The good side of the Force is the side that divides the Jedi and the Sith. It's a classic example within cinematic and within literature of an understanding of dualism, of two different sides facing off against each other. And so we have the terms the dark side, the good side. You can replace that with good and evil. You can replace that with material and immaterial, physical and mental, physical and spiritual, on and on we can go. And at its core, dualism is this idea that there are two mutually complicated and opposite substances or forces at work within each other. In the study of, of dualism, you, you, you're bringing up some of the great minds of people like Plato and Descartes and Aristotle and, and many other philosophers. And so as we look into James this morning, so take a look at James chapter 3, verse 13. James is going to pick up with this conversation of dualism. Now, dualism finds itself within scripture. Um, we see this balance and counterbalance of, of things like good versus evil within the text. Or sometimes you might see the terms within scripture of the ways of the world versus the ways of God. Or the ways of the wicked versus the ways of God. And usually this is propagated in Israel facing off against some sort of opponent. So it's God's way against these pagan ways. So Israel, they face off against the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Babylonians, the Persians the Romans, on and on and on. And then there's this dualism between God and the adversary, or as we might call it, Satan. But what's fascinating is that the conversation, the dualism between those two beings really doesn't appear in Scripture as much as we think it does. It appears in the book of Job, where Satan is identified 
as the adversary, never identified as Satan or the devil. You have these small appearances of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, and then some conversations in the book of Revelation, and that's about it. The more dualism we see within Scripture is this understanding of good versus evil, light versus dark. And James began to introduce this in chapter 1 when he reminded us that temptation is not something that we can blame God for. Because what is it? God is good and evil can't exist within God, so therefore God cannot tempt us. And then in last week's checks, James really was trying to get at this dualistic approach uh, in our understanding of it when he said, Hey guys, can uh, salt water and fresh water come from the same spring? No. (laughs) He says, can a fig tree bear olives? Nope. So why do you think you can live in these two diverse and dueling ways of living? And so that's going to be our conversation this morning. So James chapter 3 verse 13. It's kind of a lengthy text, so hang with it. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practices. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Skip to the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So the guys of Mosaic in a few weeks are heading on a fishing adventure. A couple days of fishing, hiking, swimming, doing guy stuff, whatever it is. This is not a shameless plug for you to sign up for it if you haven't. And I think the thing I love most about fishing is that fish are, are dumber than I am. So uh, the thing about a fish, <laughs> seriously, is you can cast a line and a school of fish will be nibbling at your bait. And then one of those little suckers will, will bite onto it. But then you catch their friend and then you throw another line in and those daggum fish, what do they do again? They go back to the same thing. Has anyone ever caught the same fish twice? I have, yeah. None of the other fish in the ocean want to be friends with that guy because that guy is a complete and utter idiot. I've done that before. And you're able to mark it by by what the fish looks like. So the thing I love about fishing is this. And I've got my amazing uh, Disney princess uh, fishing rod here. Always guaranteed to catch a line. Is fishing is a little tricky. So you can you can cast a line out. Let's see here. Hopefully nobody. We have a liability policy. I think we can cast a line out. There we go. Right there. I think I've got one. Y'all are just gonna stare at it. Okay. Yeah. Let's just stare at it. You can cast it out. And, and when you're 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 trying to lure in a fish, sometimes let's not break this line. My daughter would probably cry if we break it. And the thing is, if you if you cast a line out too quickly, and you try to reel that fish in. 
seeing the bait, you're not going to get him. And so you reel, you reel it back in. Let's see. You reel it back in. You toss it out. Toss it out again. Ooh, there we go. Right at Serta's feet. Let's see if we can be quiet enough for her to get it. And you get that fish, that really smart fish. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. It's about a six-pounder. Is that is that right? right, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure to take a picture of it. And, and then you cast it out just, just one more time. You throw that baby out just one more time. There we go. Right there. Nobody? Everybody's just staring at it? Thanks. Thanks for making me look like an idiot. And that dumb fish. That dumb fish. Oh, sorry, sorry. That dumb fish will snag onto it and eat that sucker and pull it in. So, so the thing about fishing is interesting is that, that it really all depends on this idea of a lure. That's what I think is so fascinating about this term lure, which I have always found to be the most fascinating definition, I think, for temptation in our life. Is that no matter how many times we see the bait, no matter how many times we are tempted by something... It's going to come back again. So you, you cast out in, in the school of fish. They see one of their buddies snag it, and he's gone. And they see that thing plop back in the water. The dumb fish get on again. We're, we're the same way. But no matter how wise we become in our lives, no matter how mature we can be in our journey with Jesus, temptation is always going to be there. We are five weeks removed from James's text on temptation in chapter 1. Anybody send temptation in the last five weeks of your life? So no matter how we try to master it, no matter how we try to uh, be mature and, and, and go about things in the right way, temptation is always going to be there. I once heard someone say that those who flee from temptation generally should leave a forwarding address. But temptation is going to be there. And so James is, is trying to dig us forward in this idea of wisdom and righteousness and humble living, but he keeps getting it back to this idea that there is this lure of sin and brokenness caused by the deep desires of our life. And then I believe the point that, that, that people need to be reminded of is, is that journeying with Jesus doesn't secure us from temptation, but it helps us master temptation. It helps us grow in Christ to the point where we can resist through God within us. So temptation is always going to be present. So the conversation has to turn to, well, how do we prepare for it in this dueling world that we live in? I, uh, I wrestled in high school, and I'm not talking about wrestling, but I'm talking about wrestling. Do we got a picture up here? Yes. Look at those beautifully white legs. That is a 14-year-old Andy. Yes. I wish I still had those spandex. That would have been beautiful to wear this morning. Um, so, has anyone ever been to a wrestling match before? Anybody? I'm not talking like a wrestling match, a wrestling match, like a real legit wrestling match. So, if you go to a good wrestling match, there's this interesting thing that happens when you're on the mat wrestling another uh, opponent. Your coach is like 10 feet away from you, constantly screaming at you the moves that he thinks you need to make. Well, adversely, you have the other side of the mat, your opponent's coach, screaming at you the moves that he thinks that his wrestler should make. Then on top of that, you have your teammates calling and encourage you on, and then you have the opposite team who's talking about your mama in every vile way they possibly can. And then if it's a good wrestling match, you've got a gym full of people screaming you on, or again, talking about your mother in all kinds of ways. And so while you're wrestling an opponent on the mat, you're simultaneously also wrestling what's registering within your eardrum. 
Because there's so many voices going on around you, it is a wrestling match to try to figure out which voice, which command I'm going to listen to. And that's what James is really trying to tap into here. That there are dueling voices that are at work in this world. We see this in classic literature and cartoons. You see the the good little demon here and the bad little demon or the little angel here and the demon here popping up. And, and James uses the language, he says that there is this earthly wisdom, there is this, this other voice that's at work within the world, but he says there's also the voice of God, the voice of true wisdom at work. And so there's this dual thing going on around us, these dual voices going around him, but he says, just in case you're wondering, let's mark up what God's wisdom really looks like. He says, God's wisdom is humble, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. So the wisdom of God is pretty distinct. And just in case we confuse the two voices together, James wants to make sure that we understand what this earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom looks like. He says, it is bitter envy, selfish ambition, want, disorder, evil practices. He will later add in quarreling, fighting, slander, killing, jealousy, and judgment. So while there might be these dueling voices at work in our world, they're pretty clear on which one is which. And what's ironic about this, the, the voices that, that rage on around us is that the voice that makes complete and utter sense is God. Really think about that for just a second. The voice of God is really the only voice that makes complete sense in our life. And so when I think about the life I've lived, what makes more sense? Living into a wisdom that's going to call fear and selfishness and disorder and temporary satisfaction and broken practices and drama and living hell within my life or the wisdom that's going to bring peace and fulfillment and love and selflessness and healing and mercy and holistic vision. It's kind of ironic when you really think about it, why we battle between so many different voices. But we do. And I think about the times of my life where I have chosen not to listen to the wisdom of God, the voice of God in my life, but instead chose to live by the wisdom of this world. And it might have brought me really great temporary satisfaction, but then soon comes the consequences of my choices. Soon comes the way that I have postured myself to bend myself around the wisdom of this world and the priorities that it brings. That doesn't make any sense. But the times that I've lived into the wisdom of God, it's brought healing into my life. It's brought love into my life. It's brought this holistic perspective of who we are as an individual. And that's what scripture does. It it tries to tell us that the wisdom of God, that God is a rock, he's a fortress, he's a green pasture, he's a still waters, he's living bread and water, he's true life, he's living hope, and so much more things. So why in the name of tight spandex would we choose to live by the wisdom of this world instead of the wisdom of God? It doesn't make any sense. In the world of comic books, um, and I think there was just like a collective, like, dear God, yet another comic book illustration. Here we go. But in the world of comic books, there are two different sides. There is DC and there is Marvel. Now, there is also a company called Imagine Comics that brought us things like Spawn, The Watchmen, and The Walking Dead, etc., etc. But really, in the marketing scheme of things, there is two sides. There is DC and there is Marvel. And you are either a DC person or you are a Marvel person. In fact, a 
a DC exec just came out recently and says people that read Marvel comics are still bedwetters. So that's just a little bit of showing you like the difference between the two. So here's what you need to be thinking about. Uh, you are either a Batman, <laughs> a Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash, Green Arrow person, that's DC, or you're an Iron Man, Hulk, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Thor, that's a Marvel kind of person. And really, when you, when you pull back the delusion of it, what's funny is the characters are really the same. They, they rip each other off. Green Arrow, and, and then you have Hawkeye, same character. Batman and Iron Man, two billionaires that don't have any superpowers but have loads of money. Same character when you really think about it. So what was fascinating about the comic book world is that the two never cross. You are either one or the other. And to answer your question, I am both a DC and Marvel person. I have found the way to balance in between the two. But an interesting thing happened in the late 90s in that DC and Marvel decided to team up for four editions of a crossover comic book. And they didn't do things like Wolverine fighting Batman. Instead, they decided to merge the two characters together to make them form a new character but have the same qualities in each. Didn't make any sense whatsoever. It was the worst idea ever. But that's what it means to come to believing that good and evil can mix within our life. You see, we convince ourselves that we think that we can do both good and evil in our life and the two things will mix together and have the same thing in common. And we spend years and years of our life believing that we can live by both the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the earth. This crossover, this mixing, this dualistic things doesn't work. It's a thing only left to fiction. There was never a time where we saw the British and the German Nazis like merging together to fight against the Italians. Did you ever remember that in history? There was never a time that the Napoleonic French were merging together for Mother Russia to fight with each other against something. It just doesn't happen. But why do we do that within our lives? We convince ourselves that we can live by both the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this earth, and we merge those things together, and what we find is absolute chaos. Or what we find, more importantly, is a lie that we try to live by. And so we've fooled ourselves into believing this. We think that we can be both kingdom people and build up our little kingdoms. We believe that we can be both materialistic and serve the Lord who said, give everything away to come follow me. We bought into the lie that we can be both flaky and half-hearted people and serve the Lord that said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why can't I be a pathological drama queen and claim to be a peace-loving person within a community of people? We think we can believe and live into both, but we can't. Why can't we be both selfish people with our time and our money and priorities and journey alongside a Lord who called us to be humble, sacrificial, and be the greatest servant of all? We think we can be kingdom-centered people and yet sow discrimination against other people of their race and their sexuality and their economic status. We bought into this lie that we can live by both the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this earth. Now, some people will say that what you were taught as a kid never will stick with you. But I still remember very distinctly when I was three years old at First Baptist Church of Alabaster, Alabama, that we did this craft together. So what we did is we took a water bottle, and it was like a little, tiny little water bottle we did together. And we filled it up with water, said water here. And we took a little bit of blue dye, a little bit. I forget dye goes a long way. 
Looks like I murdered a swer- smurf or I was Notre Dame and I murdered Carolina Tar Heels last night, sorry. Okay. And then what you do is you take a little bit of oil. Save some of this for my sunbathing this afternoon. <laughs> and what you have in a matter of minutes is an ocean in a bottle. And what's funny is that when you have this ocean in the bottle, you, you have these two different things that are together. And I can take this and I can shake this thing around as much as I want, but within a matter of seconds, and definitely within a matter of minutes, the two merging qualities, the two things, the water and the oil, they eventually are going to separate and become two separate things. And that's what we need to begin to recognize within our journey with Christ is just like oil and water do not mix together, wisdom of this earth and wisdom of God do not mix together at all. They're two dueling properties. They're two dueling things. There is no both and when it comes to living into the wisdom of this earth and the wisdom of God. Those are things that we have to choose. They are mutually exclusive from each other. And so James is trying to say to these people, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that fellowship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. Think about that for just a second. James says that if you try to live by both, if you try to live into both the grace and mercy of God to claim to follow Jesus and follow the practices of this world, he says, you and I are a bunch of whores. He says, you adulterous people. He says, how dare you think that you can do both? You are either one or the other. You are either a friend of God or you're not a friend of God. How long are we going to try to live into these practices of our life? And there's a perfect example of this that comes from the book of 1 Kings. This was not the great time of the kings where you have King Saul and King David, but it's many generations after that. And you have kings who are coming into the throne of Israel who aren't faithful to God. And so you have one particular king who gives the thumbs up of the worship of two false gods, Asherah and Baal. And the king says, good go. You can practice these things. And not only does he approve the worship of this, but the people of God begin to live into the worship practices of both Yahweh and of these false gods. And so God calls forth this prophet named Elijah. And Elijah stepped forward and he, he, he asked the prophets and the kings to have this ultimate showdown on top of this mountain called Carmel. And there they're going to have this sacrificing, dueling thing go on to see which God is truly real. And so Elijah gathers all the people of God before him and he says this epic speech to them. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The first Kings tells us, but the people said nothing, but they hung their heads in shame. It literally took God sending down fire from heaven to burn up this sacrifice and the hundreds of gallons of water that Elijah had poured on top of it for the people to recognize who God really is. And so what James is asking is what I'm asking us to consider this morning is which voice are we listening to in our life? 
How long are we going to live this lie in our journey with Jesus that we can both follow this one who calls us to a completely different way of living and looking at life and try to follow the practices of this world? Which voice are you listening to? How long will you and I live into this lie? How long will you hit your head against a wall and expect a different result? You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So how long are we going to try to live this in our life? James says in verse 5, Or do you think scripture says without reason that he is jealous, longing for a spirit he is called to dwell in us? But he has given us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to glue. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Back to spandex for just a second. Um, So there was wrestling, and then there was carry high school wrestling. And that season, I had gone straight through the competition and had been actually doing really well in the 140-pound weight class. Oh, 140. Wow, that was a lot of years ago. And and then we came to carry high school. And carry high school at this time had won multiple conference championships. They were at states or winning states almost every single year at this time. And Apex had been dominated by Cary High School for I don't know how many years in wrestling. And so we breezed through the 103 weight class to the 135 weight class, and it was my turn. I stepped out on the mat, shook the guy's hand, the ref blew the whistle, and the wrestling match began. And for the first two periods, he and I were back and forth matching in points. He would take me down, I would get out of it, I would take him down, he would get out of it, until we came to the third period. And in between the second and the third period, I'll never forget my coach pulling me to the side and just screaming in my ear, Hale, all you've got to do is beat him in points. Beat him in points or pin him and win the match. And so the third period began, and here we go, back and forth yet again. 30 seconds are left, and he's up in points. And so I take, I take him down. And, and I'm like, like all the muscle and might within me trying to turn this guy over to pin him to the mat and best I can. And all I hear is waging around me is all the voices. So I hear the voice of my coach screaming at me all the moves he thinks I need to make. I hear his coach screaming at him how to get out of this takedown that I've just put him in. I hear my friends egging me on and encouraging me on. We're at Cary High School. So I hear them saying things about my mother that even Seth Rogen would never say in one of his movies. 25 seconds left there's voices all around I'm still trying to push him down 15 seconds left and the craziest thing happens and I've shared this story before is that out of all the screaming I look up and I see my father screaming in this gym full of people and I kid you not above the coaches above the opposing team above the opposing fans I hear my father say Come on, Andy, pin this guy. Turn him over, put him down, five seconds left, boom, ref hits the mat, I pin the guy and win the match. Yeah, reliving high school days. (laughs) But what James is trying to convey to us here is at some point in our life, we have to make the choice 
to listen to the voice of God above all the other voices in our life. We have to make that choice. We can try to live into the lie that we can be both mixing oil and water together, or we can finally make the choice to listen to the voice of God. And James says it begins with something as simple as submitting yourself to God. James has said in this text over and over again, he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He says back in verse 17, the wise and understanding among you, let them show their good life by the deeds done in humility. The word here is hupatasso. It means to arrange under, to obey, to submit to one's control. And the problem with James's text is we don't like letting go of control. You and I have spent our entire life thinking that we can do things the way we want to do things. We've spent our entire life guiding our lives to be what we want it to be and to hear that we have to submit to God, that we have to relinquish control, that we have to place ourselves under somebody. <coughs> well, that just blows our mind. And so we wrestle against this idea of submitting to God. But James says the only way to submit to God. And, and the only way to submit to God is to truly show, show contrition where contrition is necessary. James writes in verse 7, Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Contrition is when we feel a sense of remorse for our choices. It's recognizing that God knows what's best and we have not made best choices in our life. And so contrition is necessary because we bring our crap in our life to God. We bring these things to Him, confessing these things to God. When we the last time that you confessed to God? I'm not saying, oh, I feel sorry for these things, but when was the last time you and I actually named the things that we had done wrong in our life? The broken choices that we had made this day, not years ago, but today. You see, contrition is necessary in order for us to submit to God. It's confessing to God. It's lifting these things to God. It's saying to God, God, I recognize that I'm not perfect, that I don't have the best control in my life, that I'm not picking the best wisdom, and I confess these things to you. I need your grace and mercy. And John tells us what? That if we confess to God, he is faithful and just, and he will cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. James says that God gives grace to the humble. The great Gandhi once said, Confession of errors is like a broom which sweeps away the dirt and leaves the surface brighter and clearer. And part of our problem with confession and submitting to God is that it actually requires that we own up to the things that we do in our life. We live in a culture that, that wants to have a pity party for all the choices that we make. Or we try to justify all the choices we make to different things. And so as a result, we have a reason for everything. You don't understand. You don't know because you weren't there. You don't get it. It's just so hard. And so not only do we try to justify our stuff, but we also try to blame other people. Have you noticed how there is never anyone at fault in our culture? There's always some sort of medical condition. There was always some sort of emotional thing going on. There was always something that somebody else did. We are not the victim here. We are always the culprit in our choices. We must take responsibility for our actions. And so that means that we must cancel the pity party that we have created for our life and take responsibility for our choices. Contrition is necessary, James says. And so that means that we, we place ourselves under God. 
we recognize that, that what we are facing is not that big of a deal. Scripture promises us that there is no temptation that is too great that God will not provide you and I a way out. And so that's, it's time that we stop saying that I'm not responsible for this. It's time when we stop saying that this is too difficult. And it's time that you and I take responsibility for our choices. The temptation is tough, but God will always provide a way for us to resist it. And so if we want to submit to God, we must begin to resist the temptations of our life. We must begin to resist and show some self-discipline in the choices we make each day. Within verse 7 through 9 in chapter 4, James gives multiple commands that revolve around quitting, resisting, and fleeing from such things. Do we deny ourselves anything? Do we say no to anything in our life? Or have we just become a people that simply accepts anything that comes our way? It becomes part of our cultural norm. And before we know it, we've mixed two wisdoms together. James says, show some self-discipline. Resist the things that you face in your life. Say no to these things. How do you practice self-discipline in your life? You see, self-discipline begins with saying no, but it also begins with knowing the one who's called you to resist these things. So that means spending time with God day after day after day. You want to know one of the fascinating ways that Jesus practiced self-discipline in his life? Jesus fasted. Look at the number of times that Jesus fasted within Scripture. But look, Jesus fasted within the wilderness, and while he's fasting, that's when he's tempted to do the things he's tempted to do. But what does he rely on in that moment? He relies on the wisdom of God to get him out of this. You ever tried fasting before? Try it one day this week, I dare you. Try fasting from the time the sun rises to the time sets. The times that you eat a meal or the times that your belly begins to ache, that's when you begin to pray. That's when you begin to dig into scripture. It begins to literally have your body depend on the word and wisdom of God in your life. You see, true disciples rely on the wisdom and grace of God. But the most important thing we need to begin to understand is this. James says here at the end, He says, as you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. God lifts us up. He he relieves the pressure of this world. He mends the brokenness and the choices we make by pouring his grace and mercy over us. And he begins to give us eyes to see the world around us. Give us eyes to see his wisdom. Isaiah proclaims this, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so may we never grow weary of doing what is right. May God strengthen us to have the discipline to listen to his wisdom in this world. And may we know that God desires to elevate us and lift us up better us into the person he's calling us to be. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.